grab your notes out of your handout. This is week four, exciting summer at Overlay. We got block parties going and park parties going and summer camps going, obviously, that we just saw. And uh, not only that, we've got this um, Summer of Connection game that so many of you are playing. And if you have not grabbed your game board, if you have not kind of put this up on the fridge, started working through it as a family or as a couple or however your household looks, please do that. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful way to keep this idea of connection in front of us all summer long. Yes, there is a prize for winning. Yes, you can win. Um, you get little stickers. By the way, if you do each of these things, I was talking to one family. Um, they had a, a house full of teenagers, and so they took the challenge to have a screen-free day, and they said it almost killed them. So... I just want to encourage you, go ahead and, and grab that. There's a, a spot in the hallway where you can get those and get the stickers. Um, if you have your notes, let's just jump right in. As we're learning about the life of David. We're learning from him. We're learning how God interacted with him and, and sort of growing, applying the lessons that David learned along the way to our own lives as well. And where we left off, it was that, that Saul was uh, trying to kill David. You might remember that. And David had an ally and Saul's son, Jonathan, went back a few weeks when uh, David fought Goliath and he became sort of a hero in the nation. A couple weeks before that, we're talking about how David was chosen even as a young boy to be the next king of Israel. So kind of all of that is just catch up. Now, David is on the run from Saul. Saul, the king, is, is seeking David's life. And that's where we pick up the story. We're in 1 Samuel 24, starting in verse 1. It says, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. So right away, as you look at that verse, you, you hear in Getty, you hear the crags of the wild goats. These sound like locations in the Star Wars universe. Right? It's just, it's so exotic. And, and what is interesting is it, it's a very real place. And I've been there. Many of you have been there as well. It's on the west side of the Dead Sea. It's in this area where there are some springs and the erosion in the hills has created a, just so many ravines and, and just thousands of caves pockmarked in these ravines. And I was there a few years ago with my family, and we were climbing up this trail and looking for the springs and this waterfall. And, and so we stopped in one of the caves, and we read this passage of Scripture. And it's just a, an incredible way to make the, the Scripture come alive. And then what's interesting is it's called the Crags of the Wild Goats. I snapped this photo while I was there. It's, um, you can see this th the little pika, the little um, like marmot type creature in the front. And then in the, the back, it's, it's this kind of a deer-like, goat-like creature. And these things were everywhere. And it was this amazing kind of a reality that 3,000 years later, the scripture is still just bursting with life. That there's this way in which God allows us not to use our imagination, but to actually give us insight into the richness and the vitality of the scripture coming alive. So it just was a really beautiful thing. I'm really sorry you didn't get a chance to experience it. Uh, it's really, it sounds like I'm boasting. I'm not boasting. I'm just, I was very thankful to be there. To s Let me move on. Um, if you do have a chance to go to Israel, please take it, you know, take it because it's, it's a way in which suddenly the Bible just comes alive. Here's the truth is, at this time in the life of Israel, the Philistines were on the attack again. 
And, and they were the perennial bad guys of Israel, and they were the chief enemies. Saul should have been marshaling all of his energy toward defeating them. And instead, he is diverting 3,000 young soldiers away from his armies to protect the land, and he's going after his personal vendetta against David. It says this in 1 Samuel 24, 3. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. Now, you can just picture they're all kind of marching through this area, 3,000 soldiers, and, and the king has to use the restroom. So nobody announces this. They just say, you know, let's just take a water break. Let's just take 10, uh, that kind of a thing. King Saul just goes off by himself into the cave. It happens to be the very cave that David and his men are hiding in. Saul comes in from the bright outside light. He, he sets aside his robe. He sets aside his sword. He's completely vulnerable. King Saul sitting on a different kind of throne uh, in this moment, reading a, a Time magazine, as it were, and, uh, and some of you are absolutely just mortified that in church, it, you know, going number two is mentioned here, um, and if that's you, I just want to lovingly say, get over yourself. <laughs> uh, God's not embarrassed. God made all of us, even kings. If you're really confused about any of this, there's a book that I would recommend as a resource. It's called Everyone Poops, and it's just a great, <laughs> great lesson, you know, in, in just sort of anatomy. Uh, let's move on. Verse 4, the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Okay, so you can, I'm sure, picture more of this scene than you want to. What I want to do is I, I want to pause for a minute and get into the emotional tenor of what is happening inside of David's mind. I, I, I want us to kind of plunge in because that's where the work happens in our own lives as well. So if you're filling in the blanks, the first thing you need to notice about David is David had the promise of progress in his life. David had this promise of progress. Remember, as a young child, he was anointed to be the next king of Israel. The prophet of Israel has poured oil over him, proclaimed that this is to be his future. And his men, the men that are with him, they all believe that they're uh, serving the future king of Israel. That's why they're gathered around him. So this is a promise that the Lord has made to David. And by the way, David reminds us of this again and again and again in Psalms, that God is faithful to fulfill his promise. Look what this says in Psalm 145, 13. The Lord always keeps his promises. You might just want to circle the word always. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. And maybe that's where you are right now. Maybe you're right in the middle of a tough time, but you know that God has promised you. You know that you're seeking a breakthrough, maybe in your finances. Maybe you started a new business venture. You know God was in it. Maybe there's a, a promotion or a healing or a new hire. You've prayed about it. You've known God, uh, moved in it, that God spoke to you through this. And, and the problem, friends, is not on God's end of the equation. The problem is on our end. God is 
always faithful to fulfill his promises. It's, it's that we get impatient because we think we know exactly how and exactly when God should fulfill his promises. And when we become impatient, then we take matters into our own hand, and, and that's when the, the trouble really begins. So here's David in the midst of the cave. Saul's right there. David has the promise of progress. But not only that, David had the motive for revenge. He had a motive for revenge here against King Saul. He had been personally injured by Saul. Saul had tried to kill him on multiple times, throwing a spear at his head. This is a, you know, this is a really clear intent. To, to commit murder. Paul or Saul has done this to King David or to David, excuse me. Saul has ripped David from his job. Saul has ripped him from his financial security, from his home that he lived in, from his wife, from his best friend Jonathan, and from his pastors. And this is a little bit of a, a, a dogleg, a caveat, but if you want to read about it, read 1 Samuel 22. And you will read about the annihilation of 85 priests by King Saul. And the reason why these priests were annihilated is because they had helped David and his men. You see, David had a very sincere faith in the Lord. David took his own spiritual journey very seriously. And these were priests that he had sought when he needed help, when he needed to be ministered to, uh, when he needed physical and practical help. These priests had ministered to him. And that's why Saul had them murdered. One of these priests escapes, and he makes his way into David's camp, and David is just heartbroken with this news. He promises to protect this priest and his family forever, and, and, and yet he is just cut to the core. It's just one more reason to put on the big pile of reasons that he has for revenge, right? Seeking revenge. The question I would ask you, have, have you ever been wounded by somebody? Has there been somebody who's betrayed you, caused you pain? Have you been wrongfully accused? Maybe you're being sued right now, unjustly. Uh, I know a brother who this is happening to right now. Maybe in your marriage, your spouse is assigning all of the pain on you, and you know that's not right. You'll own some of it, but you know you're not the reason for all of the pain in the relationship, and just understand that there are times when, yeah, we've got these reasons for revenge. And, and David had these reasons for revenge. He had, he had reasons for revenge. He had this promise of progress. The next thing David had in the cave is he had opportunity, apparently, from God. Right? This opportunity had come right in his lap that, that of all of the caves in all of the region uh, here in this area of Israel, Saul has chosen his cave to come in and, you know, take a, a nap. You guys aren't with me, are you, today? I get it. I get it. it, it you know, what are the odds, right? Is, is it like a million to one, a billion to one? So you're saying there's a chance. And here's the deal. It's like how, how incredibly God thing is this, right? Like there's no way this just happens. And as men seize on this idea that there's no way this is just accident or a coincidence, they're saying this is a God thing. And here's the caveat. Not everything that looks like a God thing or smells like a God thing actually is a God thing. You know, God never closes a door but opens a window. 
some of you have said, or, or I've heard, uh, you know, God just opens the doors and I walk through them. And, and I'm not saying those things are wrong. I just don't know where you find them in the Bible. I don't know where the verse and chapter are for those things. And, and, and I'm not saying that they're wrong thinking. I'm just not saying that it's always right thinking. And we'll get to right thinking in a minute because David actually exhibits this in the story. But he had this apparent opportunity from God. He had the motive for revenge. He had the promise of progress. And the last thing we see is that David had the urging of others. His men were all saying, David, this is God's gift to you. You have been promised the kingship. You've prayed about how to get into the kingship. And and this is God's answer to your prayer. And, And look at it. Saul is vulnerable. He's been so mean to you. This is the absolute right moment, and it's from God, they say. And, and you could just, you could picture them just painting the scenario. David, David, just let, let me tell you how it is. Sneak up to him, cut off his head, and then walk out of the cave holding his head in your hand. That picture will go on the front page of the Jerusalem Times. You'll be king by nightfall. You know what the headline will say? Goliath, part two. You know what the headline will say? David knows how to get ahead. (laughs) There you are. I knew you'd be with me at some point. You you know, they're saying, look, we will be in the palace by the weekend. This is the fast track for you. This is like the winning lottery ticket and striking oil all in the same moment. This has to be a God thing. Come on, David, do it. Do it for yourself. Do it for God. Do it for Israel. Do it for us. All of this urging of others to go ahead. And they had these same reasons that David had already thought about, the promise of progress, the the motive for revenge, this idea that apparently this was from God. And and in the midst of a, a moment in your life and in my life, where we're faced with a decision and, and things are just crazy and confusing inside of our heads and, and we're just, it's fraught with emotion. Remember that discernment comes from waiting on God. Right? The shortest distance to your dreams might not be, in fact, the best path, best path to travel. And in fact, often it isn't the best path. And so we have to have discernment. We have to be willing to wait on God. David writes in Psalm 118, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. And so he chose, right? He chose to trust in the Lord. And I've been doing some reading this week. Scholars make much of what David experienced in the wilderness. And there's quite a lot of writing on this, quite a lot of thought around this idea, because the wilderness did not make David wild. The wilderness made David holy. In fact, what God was doing in the wilderness with David is God was revealing himself to David. God was revealing his glory. God was revealing his heart. God was revealing his presence to David just again and again and again. And so David's experience in the wilderness just opened up his eyes and he was able to see God everywhere in everything and in everyone. It actually reminds me of this old Calvin and Hobbes comic and and I'll just show it to you today. Hobbes comes over and says, why are you digging a hole? And Calvin says, I'm looking for buried treasure. Hobbes says, 
Well, what have you found? Calvin says, a few dirty rocks, a weird root, some disgusting grubs. And then Hobbes says, on your first try? And Calvin says, there's treasure everywhere. (laughs) And I I read that to my kids, actually. I told them, that's how I want to be. I want to be like that. I want to see beauty everywhere. I want to see glory everywhere. I want to see the magnificence of the Lord every single place I look and to everyone, in everyone that I'm talking to. And and that's what happened to David. He didn't see treasure everywhere. He saw God everywhere. What the wilderness did was increase and grow the holiness of David and to the place where his eyes were wide open in wonder and he could see the Lord everywhere. Now, interestingly enough, the opposite thing happened to King Saul. That in the wilderness, Saul's eyes uh, narrowed into murderous slits. He got an incredible amount of tunnel vision around his life, and it was completely dictated by his idea of the solution that he needed to grab in order to you know, kind of settle the problem that he saw that existed only in his mind. Because the problem was David, and yet David had always been faithful to Saul. David had always been faithful to Israel. David was not the problem. Saul was imagining that David was the problem. He could see nothing else. Now, here's the question I have for you, because sooner or later, you will be in the wilderness, Sooner or later, I will too. This is inevitable. It's a part of the human journey. And I want to ask, which trajectory do you want to be on? Do you want to be on David's trajectory or do you want to be on Saul's? Because David, he he chose to grow. And he chose to wait on the Lord. He chose to wait on both progress and on revenge. And we're to wait on God as well. See, maybe you've got the promise of progress, and maybe you've got the motive for revenge. Maybe you've got the urging of others. Maybe the situation is so evident. The door is so clearly open. You think, this must be an opportunity from God. I would just encourage you, hold on and wait. That discernment comes from waiting upon the Lord. So let's jump in, and let's take a look at at what happens, how this episode unfolds, starting in Uh, Chapter 24, verse 5, it says, Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe, of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father... Look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. Isn't that great theater? 
That is just, it's just such an incredible story. His reaction in, in that moment, you can just see it. And, and, and of course, it's, it's amazing to see. If you continue to read through the end of the chapter, Saul is, he's cut to the heart. He's, he's incredibly repentant in that moment. He says, oh, you're right. You've been more holy than I am. You are going to be the next king. By the way, thank you so much for not killing me in the cave. And, and he, it's just this kind of a beautiful moment here. But let's take a look at what it is that's happening in David and, and what it is that he models for us to put in our own lives. In choosing to wait, what David does, and what we're to do as well, is he listens to the heart of God. David listens to the heart of God. And because David was able to listen to the heart of God, he moves carefully in this moment. At first, he just cuts the robe, which seems like the best option as opposed to killing Saul. But even that he repents of a little bit later. He begins not seeing Saul as a barrier to his throne, not seeing Saul as the source of his pain, but he sees Saul as what? He says it like three times, the Lord's anointed. He's able to see God's presence and God's purpose in this person of King Saul. And it's because he's listening to the heart of God. Friends, uh, the heart of God, we sang about it today, God is a good, good father, right? He has a good heart towards all, compassion, grace, patience for all. He, he has a kind heart. He has a heart that is filled with love towards you and towards me and towards David and towards Saul. God, the, the good father, the heavenly father that we have is not an off with his head kind of a God. And so David listens to that heart. And I want you to imagine, just for a moment, imagine that David had done this differently. Imagine if he had given in to his men, and if he had gone ahead and walked over and cut off Saul's head. And imagine if he had walked out, and he holds up the head, and all the men out there, all the soldiers, they bow down to him, the nation rallies to him, he becomes king that day. Just imagine, right, imagine that that is the first act of David's kingship. You could just imagine years later, maybe David's there, all of his grandkids are there, they're all coming around him, they're like, oh, grandpa, grandpa, tell us again the story of how you became king. And he's like, okay, gather up, gather up. King Saul, he was hunting for my life, and, and he, was, he was coming through the region of Engedi down near the uh, ravine of the, the wild goats. Oh, yeah, we've been down to those crags, you know, and they're still there. Okay, all right. And uh, he says, and I was in a cave hiding, and, and King Saul came in, and, and he had to use the restroom. And, oh, do kings even use the restroom? Yeah, they do. And I know it's a little weird that's in the Bible, but there's this book I have for you called Everyone Poops. It's a great book, and it helps clarify all this stuff. And, and he says, and so while he was there completely vulnerable, he was, he was an absolute vulnerable as another human could be, while his back was turned, I crept up and I chopped off his head, and that's how I became king. Oh, Grandpa, you're so brave. That sounds like a wonderful story. Oh, I want to be just like you, Grandpa. And then people are saying, as they hear that story, oh, so that's how you become king in Israel. And his rivals are saying, oh, that's the lesson of David's kingship. And maybe his sons are saying, I think it's time that I become king. And do you see that if he would have started by planting that seed, then that would have been the harvest that David would have received.
forever. You see what the scripture says is this, and I put it in your notes, Galatians 6, 7. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And you might want to underline that. A man reaps what he sows. A person reaps what they sow. This is just that kind of common universal truth. Everybody understands this. And, and, and so David listened to God's heart tell him, you don't want to plant that seed. You don't want to plant the seed of take whatever shortcut you need to get whatever you want. You don't want to plant that seed. You don't want to plant the seed of take revenge in your own hands. You don't want to plant that seed. And in fact, David, he understood the heart of God. And and, and so here's the deal. When we listen and we wait on God, we get a chance to discern what God's heart really is. And every time you listen to the heart of God, you are displaying who God is to those who know you. Those who are looking at your life, those who are watching, those people who watch how you make decisions, you're displaying who God is to them. So David listened to the heart of God. We need to do the same. The next fill-in is that David learns from the word of God. He learns from the word of God. And this is why it's so important for us to be in God's word, to be reading God's word, memorizing God's word, letting God's word speak into our lives because his word contains his will. And there will be times, there will be seasons, I know it's already happened, it'll happen again, where we're going to be faced with decisions, we're going to find ourselves in a scenario where the emotion is cloudy, and the opportunity, it seems like it must be from God. And you'll have others, colleagues, workmates around you saying, you know what, you should just go ahead and do it. You should just do it right now. It it seems like this could be a God thing. It seems like this is the opportunity. It seems like you've been promised this. It seems like this is revenge that you can enact, and you've even prayed for this. So yeah, this could be God's answer. Think about how good it's going to feel if you just do this thing. And as much as David wanted to, and as much as Saul deserved it, the truth was, it is still against the law to kill the king right? It is still against the law. It is still against God's word to take revenge into your own hands. And David, he would have known this truth. This is from Deuteronomy 32. It is mine to avenge, I will repay. This is the Lord speaking. It's mine to avenge, I will repay. In due time, their foot will slip, their day of disaster is near, and their doom rushes upon them. And and David would have known this. This is why David could release Saul to God, David didn't have to get revenge because God, knew, God had it, and, and, and David trusted that God had it. And that's the answer, by the way, to everybody who says, oh, but they're getting away with it. The evil people, they're just getting away with it. They're, they're just getting to do whatever it is that they want to do, and there's no accountability. Friends, nobody's getting away with it. Nobody is. There's accountability for everyone, right? Judging God right now by not wrapping up all the loose ends of injustice is like judging an author for not tying up the loose ends when you're only halfway through the novel. Nobody gets away with it. Everyone stands before the Lord. Everyone will be held to account. And by the way, this is true for you and for me as well. So please understand that that you can release, if you've been wrong, you can release that person to the Lord. If you've been betrayed, you can release that person to the Lord. It's not ours to avenge. They're going to stand before the Lord. It's his job to take care of that. 
Okay? We can be free from that burden. We can wait upon God's provision. We can wait upon God's progress in our life, his promise that he has made to us. We can wait upon God's justice. And as we do these things, as we wait upon the Lord, the Bible describes us as more than conquerors because we're placing our trust in the Lord through all these scenarios. David listens. David learns. The last thing we see is David leads with the wisdom of God. He leads with the wisdom of God. And, and we see David's leadership here. And again, it's encouragement to us in terms of how we live and how we lead. Because we lead those in our homes. We lead those that are around us. Those who have uh, an insight into our lives. We're leaders for them. And so what does David do? The first thing we see David do is he rebukes his men. Right? He makes a, a decision. I'm not going to kill Saul. I'm not going to raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. And then he rebukes his men. He tells them, this is not good. I'm not going to do this thing. Right? So his leadership over those that are with him. And then we see by the, the words and the stance that he makes, he leads those that are with Saul, right? He, he goes out and, and he's able to bow before Saul. He calls him my father. He calls him the Lord's anointed. He calls him his Lord. So, so he uses these incredibly respectful, deferential ways to describe Saul. He prostrates himself before Saul. And, and what's interesting is because of David's humble leadership in that moment, he changes everyone's heart, does he not? He leads those that are with him. He leads those that are against him. And his leadership turns everyone's mind in that moment. We recognize that all of the stuff that we deal with, Right? Whatever it is that's going on, the strife or desire for revenge, our frustration at not making the progress that we feel like God has promised us, all of this has a spiritual dimension to it. And if the enemy can cause us to get impatient, if he can trip us up to taking things into our own hands in the moment, well, let me put it this way. If David would have seized his, his moment, if he would have taken action in the cave and cut off Saul's head, yes, he probably would have been king instantly. But the seed of violence would have been planted. The story of David's kingship, it would have been always marked by this dark cloud. The sword would have never left his home, and he might not have become the man after God's own heart. You just, you just don't know. And instead, what he chose to do is to wait upon the Lord. He chose to listen to the heart of God and to learn from the word of God and to lead with the wisdom of God. And this is what we need to do as well. And by the way, again, the heart of God and the wisdom of God, they're going to be revealed in the person of God. Jesus is the perfect revelation of all of this to us. He, revealing the, the, the grace, revealing the compassion, revealing the patience, revealing the love, all of these things Jesus himself models for us. And I would say this, that if we violate the word of God or the heart of God, if we don't lead with the wisdom of God, then we'll never know how waiting upon God would have led us into the will of God. We'll miss out on the good things, the good promises, the good fulfillment that God had in mind for us. Now, David chose to wait upon the Lord, and, and because God is faithful, because God fulfills his promises, many of you know the story of how this ends with Saul. There is a day, not too distant future from here, where Saul is in battle against the Philistines, and the tide of battle has turned against him, and 
and somebody shoots an arrow, volleyed at Saul's last stand, and that arrow kind of finds its way through Saul's armor. It wounds him grievously. And on that day, Saul dies in battle by his own hand. See, David never had to take revenge because he could release it to the Lord, and the Lord would take care of it. David never had to seize the promise of his progress. Why? Because the Lord fulfilled his promise in his own way. This dark cloud of the sword that would have hung over David's kingship, it's removed forever because of the honorable way in which David chooses to live. And so I just want to encourage you, no matter what it is that you're facing right now, I want to encourage you in terms of no matter what it is that you're wrestling with or what it is that that you're dealing with, I want to encourage you with these words that, that David allowed the wilderness not to make him wild, but to make him holy. My encouragement is that you and I would learn how to wait upon the Lord. Because as you wait upon the Lord, you give him freedom to move, freedom to fulfill his promises. You give him freedom to receive all of the glory when he brings the answer that was completely unlooked for in a way that you had no idea would happen. When you're holding on to things so tightly, you think you've got to make it all work. And I just want to encourage you, would you be willing to wait upon the Lord? Because the Bible is very clear that those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So speaking of rising up, would you rise up right now? Would you stand and let us sing praise to the Lord? Let us cry out to him. Let us make sure that he knows that he is the one we're waiting on today. Mm -hmm. 